0: Hi everyone, welcome back for uh, the second episode of 2023 of the SoCode podcast. Um this week I've got Terry Baines joining me from uh, senior product manager at Chattermill. Hi Terry. Hi.
1: Um
0: <clears throat> Terry and I met through uh, a beautiful network called Product Points. Um I only discovered it back end of last year and I've been going to a few of their meetups and honestly it's it's just such a fascinating get-together. Um, I'm sure Terry will agree with me. Uh, the guys have created a really wonderful, um, you know, just open free space where product managers, product designers, various other, so many people get together and just some great conversations. So I'm going to include all the links below, um, but if you haven't checked it out and you're into product and design, this is definitely an event worth going to and a network joining. Um, so we met through, Terry, you posted on their Slack channel about some research that you're doing into how PMs make decisions based on qualitative and quantitative data. Um, So I dropped you a message and here we are. Um, But I guess before we go into what we're gonna be uh, talking about, um, Terry, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah,
1: thanks. Uh, So Terry Baines, um, uh, Senior Product Manager at Chattermill. Um, so I've been working at Chatham I think I'm just coming up on a year, but worked in product. I kind of want to say all of my career, but technically not under the product function. I think this story is or like this background is quite similar to a lot of people who kind of end up in product where you're in a role and you just have like that product mindset of trying to figure out, well, why are we building this? What, you know, who should we be building for? What, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to solve? And just making sure that the efforts that you're putting into building something are actually going to be worthwhile. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of have been doing product management and I did it under the guise of like business analyst for a while and then technical project manager. Um, but essentially I was, like doing very, very similar things to what I do in like a much more core product role. Um and yeah, I joined this this one company and I came in as the technical project manager, which I'd been doing and thinking that, you know, the role would be the same as what it always was. And the company had an actual product function. And I realized that I'd been doing product my entire life and I'd actually had probably the wrong role title. And uh yeah, kind of changed that around and I'm really happy now that I've found my world so it's been really cool being like oh I can I can google things I can search for things there's there's meetups Uh, you know before project management meetups were very very different and it was all about like these crazy frameworks that you had to follow that didn't feel like they really applied in software Um, so yeah now I I just I feel like I found my people and uh, yeah that's, that's kind of like how I'm in how I'm in product I guess and how long I've been there
0: it's quite funny, isn't it? Because I've, you know, I speak to product managers day in, day out, and everyone's got a slightly different route. There's no set kind of route into product, um, but um, I think that's one of the fascinating things about it is the fact that product uses people from all different types of skill sets. You know, whether it's software engineers or business analysts, or and I, and I think that's what makes a diverse product team tick that much more. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we've got quite a small, well, small-ish product team at Chattermill compared to some, you know, bigger organizations. Um, and so there's three product managers. Um, one has come in from a uh, kind of like a, a growth, um, so a slightly more salesy um, lead generation and has come in that way and is obviously one of our like main champions of product-led growth. Uh, one of our other team members has come in more from a customer support, And, um, you know, she was very much just like, this is what's being talked about. This is clearly, you know, the pain points and she just got it. And I was just, you know, this is clearly a good transition. If you wanted to move out of, you know, customer success, um, then this is a really nice place. And myself, I've come from a much more technical background with computer science degree. um, And I was just like, I like technical stuff, but I don't want to code myself. Um, just because I'm not very good at it, to be honest, um, so <laughs> just, um I'm not, I'm not going to get very far in this, but I like the, the business element and the justification around it and the design and the creativeness and the problem solving. And so, yeah, see, so I think, yeah, lots of people kind of come in and I think there's always this big question of like, how do I get into product? Um, and it's just like, you can do it anyway. You just got to educate yourself, surround yourself mm. and it, product will find you, um, so, you know, it's like, I didn't ask for the product life. The product life asked
0: for me. So <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> that could be the new new slogan for aspiring product <laughs> managers. Um, Chattermill, the company that you work for, could you tell us a bit yes. about who they are and your, your role there?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, Chattermill, what we do, we originally set out um, a much more uh, customer experience, customer success um, focused. So... We analyze various sources of customer feedback. So this can come from like NPS scores, your surveys. We, we also analyze support data. So, you know, your support tickets that are coming through. And we've recently um, been able to bring in social media data. So anything that people are talking about on your typical Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Instagram, but also Reddit because that is quite a big um, platform as well for people discussing um especially software um, so yeah basically we take in all of these sources of feedback and you can imagine it's all text um, it's very very difficult to kind of manage that and we i say we obviously the the magicians behind the the data science team not not my forte uh, we basically have like natural language processing and our own ai <laughs> excuse me Uh, That we analyze the feedback, we have like a theme structure, we have sentiment analysis, we know when people are happy and sad, um, and, you know, various emotions in between. And if you think about a single comment on um, a response, it could be something like, um, you know, if you're getting like a food delivery, uh, you could say, you know, I really, really liked the uh, chicken recipe, Um, the box came and it was slightly damaged, and my mayonnaise was split. So within that, um, within that one kind of feedback, there's actually a few elements to touch on. So, first off, you know, for recipes, that's really, really good. So you want to take that and you want to treat that separately. And then there's the other element around the delivery, and there so the delivery wasn't good. And then also as part of that logistics, the mayonnaise split. So there's a few things that you can take from there, and that's where that's basically what we do. We'll kind of split it, we'll apply these themes and we'll apply that sentiment. So you can go in and you can see. Is there a trend of mayonnaise splitting, you know, is this something that has just come up, you might have just changed um, retailers, um, not retailers, um, you know, suppliers, and you, that can that can cause an issue and it's, it's, it's just super quick to see that. And I think for companies who have a lot of this qualitative feedback coming in, it's very, very difficult to track it because of how like, unstructured it is. And so yeah, that, that's kind of what we're trying to do, um, basically here
0: at Channel. You mentioned when um, when we first spoke, I think you used a great example um, around why people buy a pair of jeans. Um, and I thought that was you know <clears throat> that's a brilliant breakdown of how to compare the qualitative versus the quantitative. Um, would you mind sharing that story again, um, or that example? Yeah, of I guess we can, yeah. <clears throat>
1: it's, it's not it's not my story. This is. Um, <laughs> This, this is a, a something that I, I can't remember which books so I, I, I'll try and find the source and I'll send it so hopefully I'll add this in um but basically I think people were asked um you know a survey on the street sort of thing when you are buying clothes and in this particular example it was a pair of jeans um what are the things that you consider when you're purchasing your jeans <clears throat> and the person chatting said, well, you know, I, I like to have the same brand. Um, so the fit is very important to me because of like my shape or just, you know, comfort of wear, um, and wants it to, to, to last a long time. And, you know, so wants to be comfortable with the quality of those jeans, um, And you know, this survey was done on like a mass scale. And you can imagine if I asked you that question, you'd probably answer very, very similarly. I think if I asked most people, they'd they'd also very, very similar. So you, you come away with this quantitative data that is saying people, when they're purchasing their jeans or their clothes, they're looking at the quality and they're looking at the fit now, both of those things point to being able to, um, Interact with that product, so you'd probably want to try those jeans on. You would want to touch the quality, feel the quality, know the brand, um, and that makes total sense. The next question that was asked of the of the, the you know the same people or the same person was, okay, can you tell me about the last pair of jeans that you bought, and you know what was your journey to buying them? And their answer was that they were on sale and they bought them because. They were on sale and it was a good price point. So their actions were completely different to what they thought they actually wanted. And this is something that is very, very common, um, with just human beings, to be honest, we, we have this kind of like bias, um, internally where we know who we want to be and we know the right things to do. But actually when it comes to it, our brains, our brains don't like making decisions. And so our brains go to the quickest thing that we can basically manage mm-hmm. and just if something in front of me is at a good price point i'm gonna buy it if i have to you know put on my outdoor clothes and drive and park and go to the shops and try maybe three different sizes on because the sizes constantly change i constantly change because i really like pizza Um, that's a whole different experience than just buying something that's relatively cheap, it arrives, I can try it on in my home. I don't even have to put outside clothes on, which we all love. Um, and if it doesn't fit the returns policy is really easy and you send it back. So sometimes actually speaking to people and understanding when was the last time you actually did this action and and what led you to that gives you much better insight into their decision-making process
0: yeah absolutely. I mean I think you know if I could share an example on that my 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 partner and I we've been looking at coffee machines for months on months, looking for that perfect one. Um, we had have a criteria, and then she went out and just bought one. and the reality is and it was it was actually shortly after we first spoke. so I asked her, so why did you buy that one?" And all the the whole criteria went out the window <clears throat> and it all became about it was on sale and well it's like aesthetically it's aesthetically pleasing which is completely different to the criteria we had set out in the first place so um that's well that's that's the thing right so you've got to kind of s- separate those two bits of data um obviously you've shared a great example there but what, what have you found have been like the main benefits of working in that in that way um in relation to product i guess
1: <clears throat> yeah and i think Um, you know, this, this definitely isn't, um, let's ignore all of the quantitative data Mm -hmm. at all. Um, quantitative data is amazing and we are very appreciative of it. Um, but what I found, um, and this might be more related to, you know, software, um, is that the quantitative is absolutely amazing at understanding like trends and general usage. So you get a good understanding of. What do most people do what is the average or what is the most common path to xyz you know we we can look at funnels we can look at conversions we can bring out all of the product buzzwords if we want Um, but essentially that's what you're doing you're trying to understand what generally is happening Um, but where the qualitative comes in really really handy is actually getting behind the reasons why And you know, I can look at a conversion funnel or a conversion loop because loops, not funnels for growth. Um, I can look at it for days and I can segment it and I can take it all out. But fundamentally, if I don't speak to people and ask them, why did they drop off or why did they complete it, but only complete it once, you know, um, I actually won't really find those answers out. And so for me, I find that qualitative is actually the best way of understanding what the pain points are. Um, quantitative is amazing for being like, here, there is an issue. This is where we need to focus. And it's almost like use your quant as like this really good direction. And so it's really good signposting and then try and dive into the, that like the behaviors of those users. And yeah, I, I just, I don't think that there are, there's anything that other than kind of speaking to your users and getting them to tell you um to actually understand those those reasons why and kind of understanding that and so for me it really has to be that kind of combination Mm -hmm. um but it's you know i don't find that it happens that much anymore i think there's you know Quantitative has kind of become quite this this amazing thing that everyone is latching onto, and product-led growth is is hugely dependent on all of this this data, and qualitative seems to just be potentially fading away.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like you said, you know, the, the quantitative data is there to really pinpoint the issue, um, but then you know, using that qualitative to kind of really dive into why and the patterns behind and the, that user mindset, right? Um, so, I mean, it's obviously clear that, you know, th- this way of working has a massive benefits um, to product teams. Um, wh- why do you think it's so so hard to implement?
1: I think, honestly, it's the, the scalability of it. Um, for anyone who's worked in um, a fun, scrappy, five to ten person startup you know that most of the qualitative is stored pretty much in your head and that's fine and it's great and you're able to make really good decisions because you have you can go and you can find the data you're like yeah i spoke to so and so and then you, you know that but when you're looking at much bigger products and much bigger teams and even the team that we're in now you know even between three people there's no way that i could Really share the qualitative feedback that I've got and expect them to just store it somehow or know it. So it's basically trying to figure out a way of actually storing this qualitative data um, that means that you can search it. Um, you know, we all take meeting recordings and we record them, but I think we can all be very honest that we don't watch other people's recordings. Um, so that's something to kind of be conscious of. And, you know, we'll take notes, but are the notes relevant? You know, how relevant, how relevant are they to what was actually being said? You're not using the customer's words, you're using your own words. They say, uh, they name a function and you're like, oh, they actually mean this. Um, and then all of a sudden, when you come back and you reference your notes and other people reference your notes, cause again, they're not going to watch the meeting, um, they actually have like a completely different perspective of what's going on. Um, and that's just like meeting interviews. There's obviously an enormous amount of sources for customer feedback. Um, and they will all come through in, you know, in language in text format, and there's so many sources. And I just think that it's just very, very difficult right now to, to scale that to, to understand, you know, who has said what, what are they talking about? What are the issues? Um, and then being able to search back a couple of months. You think about event data and I'm just like, cool, what's happened in the last 12 months? And I've got it and I've got it there. Trying to understand all of the topics that have been discussed or mentioned in a negative or a confusing manner in the last 12 months is a much bigger task. Um, So yeah, I think it's just, is very, very difficult to to manage it, um, given that it is quite unstructured, um, and we can try and apply structure to it beforehand. In terms of, you know, we'll ask somebody a specific question, um, and we see this in surveys. We'll ask them a question; they don't want to answer that question necessarily because they've got something else they want to talk to you about. And so, you can ask them, "How did they? Um, you know, how did they find the delivery?" and they could say something completely different, um, so which is still relevant. But then, if you've preset that data to only be, you know, that's just the logistics team. They're going to look into that, and the logistics team look at it and they're like, "That's nothing to do with us." Then that piece of feedback just kind of filters away, and uh, it's just it's just not really seen anymore. And so yeah, this is like one of the things that I'm really really interested in. Um, you know, how are other people doing this? Um, you know, like how is everyone else finding it? How do you weigh up your qualitative and your quantitative feedback, um, and that data together? Uh, so, yeah.
0: So, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, I guess this next part is almost like a three part question. Um, firstly, h- how feasible do you think as you've mentioned that, you know, especially in <clears throat> the scalability of it is an issue. Um, but. In, in your experience and those that you have spoken to, um, firstly, how feasible do you think it actually is? Um, could you share some examples of perhaps how you've implemented um, this within Chattermill or other organisations you've been at? Um, uh, and finally, are there any tools that can help?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, is it feasible? Absolutely. Um, is there a Hail Mary answer that I could be like, choose this tool? Um, not yet. Um, I will caveat Chattermill. Um, this is something that we're actively working on. So, you know, when, when I joined Chattermill, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, you know, we're analysing all of this feedback. Um, and then I was doing my own customer sessions and, you know, gathering all of the feedback. And I realised that, I was like, why aren't we using Chattermill for this as well? And that's where we kind of dived into it and we were like, oh, this could actually be like quite a good place to start is just trying to figure out if we're not using it why aren't we using it um so it's definitely feasible and i think one thing that's um you know the the topic of the moment and for those who are listening and it's five years in the future gpt is massive right now everyone everyone has an ai integration whether it's useful or not um and one of the um well i suppose i'm in the little bubble of customer feedback so i'm seeing a lot of tools right now that are you know integrating with gpt to analyze customer feedback um which is great uh because gpt is an absolutely incredible engine um and it is really really good at what it does now what it how it works is it kind of i'm not a gpt expert so you know please don't hold me to this um but essentially you can give it some information and it can run through that data set and it can give you like a summary or it can give you a list of things that were mentioned um some of the limitations with that is that it can only analyze what you send it and it has like a they use tokens so there's like a max amount of tokens that you can use um and I think we worked out to be like 50 responses. So, like for us, a response is like a typical, like maybe like two sentences. So that's not actually a lot of feedback that you can give it to analyze in one go. Um, what that means is you'd have to send like multiple requests, but it doesn't have any storage, so it doesn't have any historical data. So the first 50 responses that you send, it'll give you kind of topics or themes, or you know, kind of like an overview. And the second one that it sends it does that whole thing again is kind of like when you roll a dice the dice doesn't remember what its previous number was so it doesn't take that into consideration um so kind of using it on like large scale data sets such as customer feedback is a little bit tricky um and it is something to consider when using um when using those tools that have that integration is that it's not persistent so It can tell you one thing for this, but if you change it slightly, it could completely change its context. And um, actually we did, we have been having some like fun tests with ChatGPT or with like GPT-3 and the APIs that are set up. And we would send it the same prompt, the same query, the same dataset, like everything exactly the same. Um, And it would give us different results. So that was very, very interesting from our perspective because, you know, why would it change its results i know that it's constantly learning but then you know if you send it something in a month's time it's learned all new things since then so do you need to reanalyze the stuff that you sent last month um so yeah there are like some limitations to, to those tools they're a great starting point absolutely like if if you're not doing anything right now it's an amazing place to start one thing that i will say uh gpt is absolutely phenomenal at Is the natural language generation. So if you have an insane amount of text, like text data, um, you can send it off and it can give you a summary. And it's so much easier to kind of consume that summarized information. So think of it more as like, like, yeah, this natural language generator. um, And hopefully with time, you know, the, the tools will kind of progress. And you know technology is ever changing, so hopefully that that will be addressed. But that that's one thing that we've noticed with like those the, the kind of AI tools, um, and that's why we we at Chathamill have been looking at okay, well how can how can we kind of adapt what we're doing because there clearly is an opportunity. And there is a need and like, personally, as a product manager here, I'm like, yes, there's definitely a need. I need it. Just build it for me at the (laughs) minimum. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I've been like, this would be great. Um, so yeah, this is something that we're working on. And one of the things that we're currently tackling is the various sources of information. Um, so that's like what we're, what we're looking at right now is how we can, how we can handle all of those. Um, and then I think if I remember correctly, the last point of your question was, you know, is there anything that I'm doing right now, um, to, to try and combat or try and try and handle this? Um, and yes, I am. It's it's not scalable. I'll be very honest. So those who are in massive companies, I apologize. I don't have a workaround for you. Um, but basically how we work at Chatternil is, um, everything lives in notion, um, other knowledge-based tools do exist, but I personally prefer Notion. Um, so everything gets in there, every piece of customer feedback is in like the same uh, database. So in that same table within that database. Then what we do is every time we talk to somebody, as we're, you know, as we're writing the meeting minutes, um, we basically tag it. Um, so we'll tag the pain points that they've mentioned, we'll tag the features that they've mentioned trying to use. Um, we will add in if they've made any specific requests. So if they're like, oh, it'd be really great if we could do X, Y, Z, um, because it's good to know about, you know, if people are asking for something very specific, um, also tracking those requests along with tracking the pain points. Um, so that's kind of how we do it in a nutshell. Um, and then basically, you know, we'll, whenever we do our road mapping, we look at the, business initiatives and we look at what is being said within our customer feedback and we look at what is being done uh, through our event data um, so you know we use amplitude again other tools exist um, but this is one of the tools that we will use to kind of analyze the data and um, basically we'll put all of those three together and we'll decide okay the business needs this like this is what the customers are saying, and this is what the customers are doing. And from there we have like a really good handle on um, what we actually need to be addressing and a good indication of how we should be addressing it as well. So it's a really nice starting point um, to jump into it. One thing that I would say as well is um, for those who are doing um kind of customer uh development sessions or you know, customer interviews, is to have a look at some meeting recorders. There's a loads of them out there um try and get one that does the transcription Um, one thing that i have found absolutely amazing when doing uh especially the customer interviews is a meeting recorder where you can i think they call them highlights but basically you can like tag a moment in time in that call and you can add a quick note to it what that means is you can oh they've mentioned this And then you carry on, you don't have to stop the conversation. You don't have to try and figure out, you know, what time they said that and note it down so you can come back to it later. Um, And that's also really helpful then when working in, you know, when you've got your own product team or, you know, your peers. I'll know if I have a colleague who's working on something, um, a particular feature, function, problem, and somebody has said something about that. I can just send them just that section. So they don't have to watch that entire meeting. They don't have to read through all of my notes to find this particular, you know, like paragraph. Um, and they also get the benefit of getting the verbatim of that customer as well. So yeah, all in all, there's lots and lots of tools that you can use. Um, hopefully Chattermill will become the the tool of choice. That is the plan. Um, but yeah, I think in the meantime, just kind of just try and front load your effort when doing the customer um, sessions or whenever you get any feedback, front load it. Don't wait until you have a load of responses or a load of comments to go through um, because you you will get bored. But if you're doing it ad hoc as they come in, which is something that we do, so we have like a rotor within the team. And so any, any feedback that comes in whoever's on that road to basically tags that. So it's, it's very shared amongst the team. It also means that the entire team gets exposure to all of the sources of information. Uh, so it's not just one person who is like the champion of the voice of the customer. And then everyone else is just has to speak to that person to understand, did anybody say anything about this? Did anybody say anything about that? And you know, we then you miss out on a lot of like the general discovery that you can do when you get to chat to a lot of people and speak to them and 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 actually like really, really listen to what they're saying and what they're trying to say as well.
0: I mean, it, it's clear the data is probably already there. It's about utilising it and diving into it to really to unlock, as you said. So, um, Terry, thank you so much. You've shared some you know really insightful thoughts. Um, you certainly highlighted how important um how important it is um and how organizations can go about doing this so i I know you're keen to can continue to do your research and very keen to speak to um uh speak to as many people as you can i guess about um how their organization does it so um if any you know listeners want to reach out to you uh, have a discussion with you about this what's what's the best way for people to contact you
1: um if you just drop me a message on LinkedIn, um, then yeah, I'll kind of come, come and chat to you there. I'm awful at emails. Um, it's not that I'm against sharing my email. I just, we're a Slack company. So I, I don't do emails. Um, but yeah, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to come and chat to me. Um, and I think like it will probably be linked through this profile.
0: I will. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyone who wants to reach out to Terry, I will include their um, profile. Um, uh, link to it in the in the comments in the all the platforms I share this on. There, there, uh, it'll be easy to contact you. Um, Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, this has been a great session. Both of our pets managed to restrain their cameo appearances. Um, At some point,
1: there was there was almost a leg. That came <laughs> up he likes to sleep on her back, just like
0: brilliant well i guess um, people are gonna to have to wait for maybe the next episode for um, for some cameo princes but um uh, everyone who has tuned in and made it this far thank you so much um uh terry you've been an absolute great guest great great guest so thank you for, for joining me this morning it's been brilliant um and to all the listeners until next time all right
1: amazing thank you so much Marouf. and yeah look forward to hearing from everybody and yeah if you have solved this please tell me